you can stay standing. Um, I'm going to read this out, um, which means that uh, there's really nothing to entertain you. <laughs> so uh, hopefully you'll be able to listen and think. Uh, let this be um, exactly what it is, which is my complete inability to communicate the truths of what I'm about to say. Um, and that's not because I don't have the words or I'm a, uh, a worse communicator than someone else, but because when we human beings open our mouth about God, um, nothing we say can possibly do justice to the greatness and power of who he is. Um, and so in the first great revival in our country in the 18th century, um, actually the pastors themselves would get up in front and their goal was to put the least amount of emotion possible into their speaking. And the reason their goal was that was that they wanted no power to rest with the entertainment ability or communication ability of the person who was actually talking. They wanted all the power to be God's. Um, How truly, uh, stupefyingly, extraordinarily great is God? Just a few aspects of God's greatness today. God is great in his knowledge. He literally knows everything. Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He existed before the fall of Rome. He existed at the birth of the world. He saw our birth, and he has seen and knows the day of our death. He has seen everything that there is to see and heard every word ever uttered, and every thought has passed through his view. Nobody has the experience he has with life. Truly, he knows everything thoroughly. God is great in his ability to make everything that does exist. Nehemiah 9.6 says, you are the Lord, you alone. You made heaven the heaven of heavens with all their hosts and the earth that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. And you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. All matter is artistic dust, and God is the master sculptor. God is great in his integrity. Psalm 71:19 says, Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens, and you have done great things, O God, who is like you. He is so good that he actually defines what good really is. He will never be judged, and all correct judgments come from his moral code. God is great in his sovereignty. He is actively accomplishing all the things within his purpose. Isaiah 46, 9 to 10 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning 
and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. There is no being but God who can say that their will will happen. What God wills will happen. And there is no thing or person or combination of everything or anything that is strong enough to even put a dent in God's plans. This includes the plans for the life that's been loaned to you and me, the breath that's in our lungs that really belongs to him. And God is great in his attention to detail over everything that exists. Psalm 147.4 says, He determines the number of the stars. He gives them all their names. Luke 12.6 and 7 says, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten by God. Why, even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, you are more valuable than many sparrows. He knows everything. And he knows me. He is the only being in the universe who is worthy to use the life that we've been given. He would be better at doing my life than I am. He is trustworthy. And today, let us come to God acknowledging his greatness and letting his greatness and his care for us dwarf the fears that strangle our weary souls. Think about your life for a moment. What are your concerns? When I said think about your life, most people in here were already doing it because it isn't something that we have to be taught how to do. We don't have to be taught how to worry about ourselves. Is it a relationship that you're mulling over constantly? A problem? A situation? An issue? An event? When the truth is spoken, oftentimes we don't let it wash away the things that are big in our minds and let the bigness of God become bigger. We oftentimes build those statues of anxiety in our own heart and let those statues stand. I'm saying that the truth is here to undermine the foundations of fear. And that as it flows and washes over your soul, you are taking part in the grand revolution of what is called redemption. God didn't just save you to bring you to heaven in 60 years. God saved you so that you would be free and sober-minded today. Listen to these words and let them wash back over your soul. Let them clean you. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And the verse today that I want us to sit in is 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7. Humble yourself in the mighty hand of God. And he will exalt you at the proper time. Cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Is God big to you? Then he will cast a shadow over everything that life is and let him wash over that. As we sing these next songs, um, do so in light of the truth that God is massive and God is great and mighty. And when he says that we are to cast anxieties on him, he's not saying that we are to give it a shot. He's not saying that maybe it'll work. Maybe his plans will succeed. Maybe his idea for your life is better. What he's saying is, do you trust me? So you can take a seat for a second. You know, sometimes we ask questions like about verses like, you know, how do you do that? Because that just seems like such an impractical thing. I mean, how hard is it to go against something that we're so ingrained to do like worry? I mean, if you think about it, some way responsibility seems like it should come with anxiety. Ah, but that's the issue. Yes, we are responsible for our actions, but who has our life? The word casting in verse 7 of 1 Peter occurs one other time in Scripture, in, the, in, uh, in Luke 19.35. Okay, it's where Jesus, it's Palm Sunday, is coming into the city of Jerusalem. And you would think that the casting in that passage would be, you know, the, the palm branches, right? And these people throwing these palm branches on the ground as Jesus walks across as the king. And, but it's actually somewhere different than that. Listen to this. It's Palm Sunday, and the disciples have been sent to get the donkey for Jesus to ride on. In verse 35, Luke 19:35 says this, they, being the disciples, brought it to Jesus, and casting their garments on the colt, they sat Jesus on it. The meaning of this word casting is really simple. You cast a garment on an animal. In this way, you don't carry it anymore. You put it on the back of someone who has voluntarily, in this circumstance, the donkey gets to volunteer in this circumstance because he's God and blah, blah, blah. But you put it on the back of somebody designed to carry it. The donkey works for you and lifts your load. And it might seem dishonorable to compare and try to understand what it means to cast our anxieties on God and compare God to this donkey. 
But that's a picture of God that some of us don't have. And that is the servant God. God always, has always, before he ever asks us to do something for him, he always reveals that he's done something for us. If your God is stern, commanding you to do things all the time, then maybe, maybe you got to see the God who would say, make me your pack animal. Make me the one you give things to. When you are weary, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Psalm fifty five twenty two. And this is my favorite one as I get older. Even to your old age I am he. This is God talking. And to gray hairs I will carry you. I have made and I will bear and I will carry, and I will save. Isaiah 46.4. From of old, no one has heard or perceived by the ear. No eye has seen what God has prepared for those he loves. God wants to be a burden bearer because it demonstrates his power, and it puts him in a class by himself among all other gods. There is no God in the universe that would ever say, put your burdens on me. So will we throw our garments of anxiety onto him because he wants to carry it? So how do you do it? You do it by trusting the second half of verse 7 very specifically to whatever it is, your situation, your specific anxiety, your specific situation. Yes, God in general is trustworthy and he is in general great and he is in general powerful, but God is also very attentive to detail, which includes the attention the detail in our lives individually, specific things. Here's the promise at the end of verse 7. Because he cares for you. Okay. Now that that's washed over the hard part of your heart, let it sink in. God is willing to carry your burden not because he has to, but because he cares about you. Here's where the rubber meets the road. How do you practical make the, practically make the anxiety transfer from your back to God's back? The answer is this, to trust that he cares for you. Believe this promise. Trust him. It's a matter of practical trust that promise does not hang in the air. It is connected to a command, and the promise is meant to show how to obey God. The command is cast your anxiety on God. The promise is God cares for you. 
That means he cares about the thing that, he, that you are worried about. When it says that he cares, it means he will not stand by and let things develop without his influence. That means he will act. He will work. Not always the way we would, he's, we would think he should, but he's God and, and he sees connections that we don't see. One example is a lost credit card might result in an evening of searching and you take away <laughs> some TV watching from your life. And unbeknownst to you that that television show would have put a lustful desire in your heart and caused you to, to see prayer or time with God is unappealing. And in the midst of that unappealing time with God, you would have maybe passed over an absolute golden opportunity with somebody that you go to school with or you work with who is ready, finally, to ask a question about God. And you just breeze right by, maybe because you, you had that sense of, ah, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really care that much about God right now. But maybe, maybe God allowed that credit card to be lost because he wanted you to be able to experience what it was like to talk to someone about him. Maybe your heart being transferred into that was something that he saw that we could never see, but we see it as lost credit card. Ah, shoot, lost credit card. Dang, what am I going to do? Well, you're going to do the thing that you did before is the hope, and that is this. If God cares for you and wants you to cast anxiety on him, the first place your burdens go are him. You cannot be close to God. And I'm willing to bet that every single person in here, regardless of how caught up in your sin you are, it would be really cool to be close to God. You cannot be close to God and be preoccupied constantly with anxiety. Because your heart is intoxicated with anxiety. To be sober-minded before the Lord. Have you ever been around somebody who's totally preoccupied with something else? And I'll give you an example. Have you ever had a friend who was like, oh, we're going to hang out. It's just going to be me and you. Time together. It's going to be awesome. Just focused on each other, talking, maybe doing something else, whatever. And then you get there to hang out with them, and they're literally in like four text conversations with someone else or four other people. Is that not hard? Is there not a sense of, are, like, are we actually hanging out or, or am I hanging out with five people and you're just technically here? Like, what is going on right now? But that sense of preoccupation, and we don't, we don't mean to do this, but we totally do this with God. We're mulling through 10 things in our head as we come to the Lord and we say, oh, God, I just want to be close to you. Oh, but I got to deal with all this stuff. God, I just want to be close to you. I got to deal with all this stuff. And he's like, just pause for a second. I'm going to give you an out. Just give it to me. Trust me with it. Then we can hang out in total freedom. And you can be totally sober-minded with me. If we take off the anxieties that we feel, that we experience, and we dare to put them on God, then we can be close right now. There is no reason for us to sit here completely and utterly burdened beyond measure 
when God, who is bigger than everything in the universe, knows everything, knows everyone, counts details for fun. When that God says, give me everything you are and I will take these burdens. We will do them together. What I want to do is be with you. I'm willing to bet you came today wanting to be with God. There is nothing standing in your way anymore. Can you, will you, as we sing, as we think, cast your anxieties on God? There's a classic uh, pose or a thought, a way of praying, that when you uh, open your hands to God, you, uh, you want to give him everything. Uh, whatever's on your mind, whatever's on your heart, so you open your hands and you, it's like a symbol if those kinds of things help you, I challenge you as we sing these next few songs to be with God, to focus on God. As those things come into your mind, the things that you have to do, the things that you're thinking about, go ahead and just give them. As best you can. I get that it's hard. The most natural thing in the world, the world for us is to worry about them. The hardest thing in the world is for us to give them up. But it's an issue of do you trust that God cares for you and do you trust that he is powerful enough to handle these situations without your influence? God, we want right now to be with you together. I pray the anticipation in this room would be for people who are spiritually lonely to finally be free to just be with you. Lord God, I pray that the phrase falling in love with God would not just be something that people at church say, but Lord, I pray that our hearts would be free enough right now to be preoccupied with you and your presence. Lord, I pray that right now, as we just take 30 seconds, to be with you, to think with you, to give up our burdens to you. Lord, I pray you would wash through this room like power and glory. That it would not be the influence of music or speakers, but it would be your spirit welling up in the hearts of people who have housed you and who want right now nothing more than to see your glory revealed through them. We want to enjoy your presence, Lord. When we fall in love with God, and when we get to experience his freedom, he sends us back out. Uh, he sends us out with this swelling of love in our heart, and he gives us this purpose. He gives us the truth. He gives us strength. He gives us power. Uh, we have been freed so that we might become freers of others and that they might experience freedom in Christ. There is no freedom apart from him. There is no joy apart from him. And we get to leak that onto people everywhere we go. So this is a prayer of St. Patrick, and we can, this can be our benediction today. It says, Lord, be with us this day. 
within us to purify us, above us to draw us up, beneath us to sustain us, before us to lead us, behind us to restrain us, and around us to protect us. Amen. Go in peace and power. Amen.